Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues, the podcast where we look at father and son relationships in media and then compare them to our own twisted relationships with our parents. My name is Dominic Archer and with me as always is the man, the hero, the legend and the son, David Bryan. Hello David. Hi Dom, that was a lovely introduction. Thank you. Thank you, I, I had to make that up on the spot. So I just spoke from the heart. You know, you know how it is when you, know, <laughs> you just say something you know to be true. It's, it's, it's the best way. Or lie through your teeth, either way, just as easy as each other. No, not in this case, because this is an incredibly serious topic that we are discussing. The relationship between between a man and his son or a boy and his father. It's one of the most integral relationships that, that we have in our lives. Uh, and it's also a very common storytelling motif in cinema because of those emotions that flow around it. So before we get started, I'm going to be really rude and nosy and be like, so, David, this is my therapist voice. So, David, <laughs> how is your relationship with your father? Hmm. I'm, I'm stroking my beard. I don't know if you can hear me. I don't have a beard at the moment, but if you can imagine that I do, I'm stroking it. Shall I stroke mine? Yeah, please. Please. One of us, then. Please. Yeah, yeah, I'll stroke my beard. <laughs> oh, wow. You got me straight onto the couch, Dr. Archer. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I've, I've, I've had always had a good relationship with my father, although it's been trying at times. Um, but not because we've, it's always been a one filled with love. It's just I think my father and I are quite different from each other. I seem to have more in common with with my mother. We're um, we've re- my mum's kind of retained a lot of her artistic um, bent, I suppose, so she can relate to me and like my more creative outlets. Whereas my dad, who began very artistic, he wanted to be a painter. He took art at college, and then he kind of shelved that part of his life when he wanted to have a family. He wanted to get married to my mum. Ah, oh, sweet, uh, <laughs> and be and be like you know a support. Uh, a provider to his future family. So he left the art world behind and joined the police. Um, she probably couldn't have been any further away from his true self. So I think that career in the police kind of ground a lot of his, uh, his artistic nature out of him uh, to the point where now, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of coming back a bit like he's semi-retired and he's done well through business, but he had to put a lot of that artistic stuff aside um, whereas I've kind of always embraced my frivolous <laughs> nature. Um, so we haven't always seen eye to eye on things. And there's often times when I've tried to explain my thought process or my emotional process regarding something. And it's just, we just can't really mesh in the same way that me and my mum can. Mm. So um, as much as he's been very supportive and he's given me so much, he's been very generous and he's he's been quite only recently kind of opened up about his his uh his inspirations and his drive in his life like he he set up his own business about 15 years ago um with the express intent of filling a niche in the market um and then selling it later on in life so that he can provide for me and my brother um which he put himself through heinous amounts of stress and there was health issues involved because he was working so hard and doing so much and it wasn't until towards the end of that time, like he's now, yeah, like I say, semi-retired and he sold his company so he can relax now and take some more time for himself. But it's only recently where he's uh, revealed that his main drive for putting himself through all this strain was 
so that me and my brother could live uh, comfortably, could live debt free, and that the you know the whole time that was what was driving him. So all of my begrudging uh, sort of teenage angst that kind of stuck with me a little bit through my twenties, where I was like, oh, I don't want anyone to give anything to me. I don't want any handouts. I want to do everything for myself. And if I want, if I fail, then I'm failing on my own. Like you know, I don't want all these gifts that my parents wanted to give me, which was I suppose taking a lot for granted. I know a lot of people don't aren't as for, fortunate as that, but I think I was quite proud. And it wasn't until I put myself in my parents' shoes and my father's shoes and realised that the whole reason he's been straining himself throughout his life was for me and for my brother and to give us the most comfortable life that we that he could possibly can, which is not something that he had. He had, to, like I say, he had to give up his dreams to become a career a career in law enforcement which he didn't really want to do and it turns out I think quite it damaged him to some degree um psychologically so I owe him a great deal and there are so many things I've done in my life that I never could have done if it wasn't for him for example go to university I was in no position to do it on my own and I don't really have any drive to do it but when I decided I wanted to do that degree in screenwriting he fronted my first year of tuition for me and if he hadn't i probably never would have done it and i never would have met you dominic and we wouldn't be sat here today well then i am uh, i am as indebted to your father as you are by the sounds of it but that's very yeah, interesting no that that you you say how good your relationship is because this idea for the podcast was really yours you were saying oh i just every time i see a movie with a father-son relationship it just makes me cry every time but what is it about those those scenes the father-son scenes that makes you cry is it a scene where the father is is mortally wounded or is it one where the father is like i'm proud of you son or is it just anything in which there is that kind of that uh that interaction that you seem to be really having now later on in life. Yeah, I think it, it's any moment, any moment of heightened emotion between, between a father and son kind of hits me. And they, I'm not sure why that is. Cause like I say, my father's been very supportive to me and um, I wouldn't say we, I don't remember an awful lot of affection. Oh, not well. No, I don't remember a lot of overt affection. Like we were never a big squeezy hugs. I love you. I love you. I love you kind of family, but it was a lot of affection and a lot of love. And we felt very supportive and cared for. And, you know, I've got no, no complaints about that, but they yeah, don't know. There's something about like a reconciliation between father and son or where um, there's some kind of, uh, what am I trying to say? some kind of sacrifice made by either father or son for the other's benefit. It's, I don't know what it is. It can, I think it could be really be anything. And <laughs> I, think that's what, that's, I think that's why I wanted to, to delve into this a bit more because psychologically, I think it must, there must be some, something I see in my own relationship with my father that when I see something, of, like I say, of a heightened emotion between fictional fathers and sons on screens, it, it affects me more than anything else. Besides, maybe well, maybe not besides, but equally, things between brothers, emotional moments mm. between brothers, often get me as well. And I know you and I both have younger brothers, so I wonder if that's um, that's related too. But I don't know. Me, let's 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 dive let's dive headfirst into this uh, psychological and emotional maelstrom 
over this, this the course of this series and <laughs> and see how many times we cry while talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got to admit, it's, the films. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than therapy, that's for sure. Probably more valuable too and effective. I would have thought well, so. Was, yeah. So what about what's what about you? What's what's your relationship like with your father? Oh, it's great. It's perfect. Okay, so let's start. Okay, <laughs> fine, I guess. Um, well, I, I'm fortunate enough to have to have two father figures in my life because my parents are divorced, so uh, they broke up when I was well, when I was four. So pretty much the entire living memory, I've always had my sta- uh, my my dad and my stepdad, um, and my dad uh they couldn't really be two more different people i don't think uh my stepdad at least when i was much younger he wasn't really in a position where he wanted to have kids but he married my mom so didn't really have a choice um and uh he hates kids and i was a kid so that <laughs> caused some kind of friction i think to begin with uh he could be relatively intimidating but as we as i've gotten older um we're 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 really close and that's yeah that's been amazing to see how that relationship has has changed over time um and everything with my dad has always been great um while my my stepdad was relatively not i don't want to say authoritarian that sounds a little bit too fascisty not like that but there's definitely more <laughs> more um uh, I don't know, there was more a threat of, of punishment, I suppose, or maybe expectation, which is not there with my dad. My dad has always been um, and very much more open with, with in, in our relationship. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm really fortunate now to be in a position where I'm basically best friends with, with both, both of the father figures in my life. Which is great, and that's not to say that there isn't strain in in different parts of those relationships, and we haven't had time where we've we've fallen out or anything. But yeah, definitely. As as I've grown older, I've I've really grown to uh, uh, appreciate the those relationships that I have, especially because uh, I'm in a I've been in a divorced household since you know since I was four, and there are a lot of people in that situation who are like, oh god, I fucking hate my stepdad or i fucking hate my stepmom or you know it's like those relationships can be really difficult and and really horrible but um i think that the most amazing thing for me especially when you watch a movie with a divorced family is like one of the dads is bitching about one of the other dads behind their backs right like there's like some kind of rivalry that's going on there um and it ends up ruining the kids lives or or whatever but that's never been um it's never been the case uh, for me so yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm really lucky to be, to be with the the, the fathers that I've had. I think. Uh, trying to think about the university stuff. I think I am in the opposite situation to you, where I, I was lucky because my dad were at the time uh, where I was going to university was piss poor. So um, <laughs> I was able because of my dad to apply for the maximum amount of student loan because we couldn't afford to send me to university. But because my dad was so poor, they the, the student loans were like, yeah, have all of the loans that you need because we had no money, um, which was great because it meant that I could go to university. But now it's a real pain in the ass because I've got so much to pay back. <laughs> so much debt, yeah. Yeah, it's like, God damn it, dad. 
But yeah, if I had known uh, how much that really would have been, I maybe I I wouldn't have gone. But um, yeah, if if that was the if I hadn't gone, then again I wouldn't have I wouldn't have met you, and so uh, yeah, I've I've been very lucky in that way as well. But uh, before we we need the, we need to hug and and cry amongst ourselves. Um, I guess we should get started with our our first piece of father son media that we've we've chosen to evaluate. And okay, um, it took us a while to choose what we wanted to do because we were looking at you know traditional father son movies like um, the you know Will and Jane Smith in Pursuit of Happiness or Not After Earth. Because, come on. Um, no one wants to talk about that. Yeah. Or, I don't know, there's, there's like a thousand baseball movies, you know, about father-son relationships, like that kind of stuff. But even <laughs> yeah, looking at some... half of them star Kevin Costner. Yes, exactly. But even looking <laughs> at like something like Star Wars, it was like, Star Wars is a great father-son relationship, but it's not like a strong foundation to build off of. So where do we, where do we go from? Um, so in the end, we, we settled on the animated adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet, The Lion King. <laughs> is that official? Is that, was that on the poster? I don't remember. I mean, I don't think it is on the poster, but it is an adaptation of Hamlet. That is true. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with that, no. No. So, uh, I guess, as you, we, as you were saying, we should, we should dive straight into to The Lion King. Uh, Steve, please insert an an audio clip of an African sunrise. I don't know how you could do an audio African sunrise, but I'm sure you can find a way. <laughs> the Lion King... Uh, God, I was three when The Lion King came out. That makes me feel old, and also the wow. movie feel old. Wow. Yeah, I can't... But like when I, I think I've always known the year it came out, and but it's been a part of my life since I started watching films i mm. was seven when this film came out so i may well have gone to the cinema to see it with my family but i must have seen this film a couple dozen times in my lifetime but not funny enough in the last decade maybe i couldn't really remember the last time i sat down to watch it properly like one yeah. of those i've seen so many times like well what's the point in watching it but i'm glad i did and i'm glad we chose it for this podcast because i saw things in it that i've i didn't think about before and uh yeah, that's some of the things that I'd like to like to talk about today, actually. So we've got the the obvious father son relationship between uh, young lion prince Simba, voiced by whoever I don't know what he's called when he's young. Do you know what his name? John. Of course I do. Come on, man. <laughs> so, you know, you know, uh, my initial my initials are DB, as you as you're aware. Yes, um, I've I've something of a. I had something of a relationship in a previous a relationship, sorry, a reputation at a previous job of mine of always being the person, like someone could come up to me in the middle of a work day and say, who voiced a uh, young Simba in The Lion King? And I'd, in a flash, be like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, obviously. Who, why, why would you not know that? So my nickname at that job became I, IMDB. Because well, of my initials and because of the reference to the very famous resource on the internet, the Internet Movie Database. That is not... the nerdiest thing I have ever heard, and I have a master's degree in comics and graphic novels. Nerd! Thank you. you are a nerd. <laughs> capital N. With a capital N. Boom. So we have Round. Jonathan Taylor Thomas and, and Matthew, Matthew Broderick yes. as, as Simba. 
and then the the daddy of all daddies, James oh, Earl yes. Jones um, as Mufasa. Oh, I yes. mean, it really it doesn't get any better than James Earl Jones. Um, can you briefly describe the story of the Lion King for us, in case some idiot hasn't seen this film before? What if so, you mean? Somebody might not have seen the Lion King. I know, as, as ridiculous as it sounds. <laughs> That is utterly ridiculous. Well, if anyone listening has not seen The Lion King, we should say there will be spoilers. Oh, yeah. Um, but you have had nearly 25 years to see this film. <laughs> so, But then I suppose what if, you're, what if the listener is young and they haven't quite delved that you know, backwards yet? Who knows? That's fair enough. Um, but anyway, you have been warned. So The Lion King take, takes place in the savannas of Africa. Um, out of time, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> this is past, present, or future, because yeah. um, they're because they're animals. Um, uh, yes, the king of the Pride Lands, Mufasa, voiced by jo- James L. Jones, as you pointed out, and his his wife, his uh, his lioness, Sarabi, um, present in the opening um, sh- uh, sequence of the film. Present their newborn cub Simba to the Pride Lands, and all the you know the entire. The entire population of uh, this uh, this expanse that they oversee comes, and they all celebrate this newborn prince who will one day be king. Yeah, they're, they're really um, excited to to greet the guy who will one day eat them. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. that's that is interesting to see. But then they go, they try to go some way to explain how they can all live in harmony despite the fact they get traumatically hunted and eaten <laughs> by by their overlords, which maybe has some kind of socio political undertone but we don't have to get into that today yeah we'll, we'll get into that in a different podcast <laughs> a different podcast yeah um so yeah simba is the heir to the throne of the would-be king but oh how much detail do we go into here don oh we can um, go we, we can keep going keep going you're doing well okay so we're doing well um but there is the 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 family the 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 royal the royal lions <laughs> um there isn't aren't all harmonious. There is a no. uh, a darker element, a a uh, usurping force within mm. this family, and that in the shape of Mufasa's younger brother Scar. Which something I've noticed only this time watching the movie, Scar's younger than Mufasa. Which I is know it's crazy, when you think about it. right? Like I always assumed he was like a grumpy older sibling who yes. was grump- grumpy because he looks older, like he's scragglier and he's darker. Yeah. And even for some reason they're probably around the same age, but in my mind, Jeremy Irons does the voice of Scar sounds older than James L. Jones, mm. but not by much. But it just sounds like kind of I don't know why, but that's what that's what I assume. But so the, the today, uh, sorry, when I watched this recently for this podcast, I was like, wait, Scar's younger? Yeah, yeah. But I suppose it makes sense. If he was older, he would be the king. So, mm. it would, you know, hierarchies work. That's how they work. Yeah. Um, yes, who is he is disgruntled about this new born prince coming into their lives, which means that he is no longer next in line for the throne. Mm. Um, which he goes some way to explaining in the very first line of the movie, which, again, I didn't really notice before when I was younger. But the very first line of the movie is Scar toying with that mouse. Because this is, this is after that whole musical yes. introduction. The circle, circle of life. life. Exactly. Ah, the you go, Steve, take that audio clip and put that back in. Went back when I said put in an African sunrise, that one. That's the one. I should have carried on going, shouldn't I? 
Otherwise, it'd be a very short introduction. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the very first line of dialogue is Scar toying with a mouse. Yeah. Like, he's, he's caught this mouse that he is undoubtedly going to eat, but he's just playing with it, picking it up, dropping it, catching it again. He says to the mouse, life's not fair, is it? You see, well, I, I will never be king, and you, you shall never see the light of another day. <laughs> and that's when uh, the royal vizier, if you want to take uh, some nomenclature for, yeah. from another Disney movie, <laughs> uh, Zazu pops in and goes, didn't your mother ever tell you not to play with your food? Yeah. And you're like, ah, it's Blackadder. Yeah. <laughs> see, those are such fun. perfect character introductions, right? Because we have the, the, the circle of life opening and we get a real feel of, you know, it's perfect. Like that opening song is perfect for setting up the world and the animals. Yeah. But then there's no dialogue, but you get a perfect understanding of how strong and majestic Mufasa is. His relationship yes. with Surabi, how close they are, how yeah, how much how much respect everyone has for Mufasa, and then also kind of the nobility of of Rafiki. When, uh, like, the fact that Mufasa embraces Rafiki when he comes up to... Oh, Rafiki yeah. being the, the, the monkey, right? Like, um, he comes up and the two embrace. That really goes away to show, like, the similar levels, like, the similar power dynamics they have, considering that everyone is kneeling before Mufasa. Like Exactly, yeah. I picked up on that this time, too. Like, yeah. He's the only non-lion, besides Zazu, who's kind yes. of in, under their employ... Who's a who's whoever graces Pride Rock itself, and yes. somehow I don't know if you noticed this, but like it, from the you get a shot from the from the top of the rock, and you see um, Rafiki sort of climb over the the point of Pride Rock to to greet Mufasa, but then you see that what Pride Rock looks like from a distance. How the hell did he climb up that? <laughs> that, doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't you just walk around and go up the back? But anyway, that's not that's not important. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting that he is this kind of uh, grandfather yes. figure, yeah, well, almost. Yeah, he will family. definitely come. He'll definitely come into play later on because we get the character, the same character introduction to Scar as you were saying. Who gets like the first, the opening line of the movie? But we yeah. cut. We have a hard cut right at the end of Circle of Life. It goes boom, the boom. Lion King, yeah. and then the screen goes <laughs> black, and then we open up on Scar, who is like this, you know malnutritioned sleeky like he's so hungry he's so weak he'll all he can do is hunt a mouse um and it's a complete change in the power dynamic and the fact that we get his we get the real feel from his character through dialogue rather than through just screen presence of like just pure physical strength and it says a lot about scar the fact that he's torturing a mouse as well when he's a lion it's like a, yeah Really yeah, you couldn't great... get more more uh, boot ant kind of yes. uh, dichotomy there between yes. yeah, a lion and a mouse. Yeah, and, and we go and we're like, okay, great, he's going to be the bad guy. Look at his face. Yeah, he's darker. He's scrawnier. Yes. He's got yes. a he's got an English accent, which you know obviously means he must be evil. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, and he's disfigured. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, the first thing we see is him toying with a tiny creature that. Uh, he doesn't really need to. Yeah. And but then he, he shortly after does go some way to 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 put that um difference between him and Mufasa into words. He says when it comes to 
brains, I got the lion's share. But when it comes to raw strength or brute strength or something, mm. I'm afraid I'm at the shallow end of the dream pool. <laughs> that is such a great line. The way that Jeremy Irons delivers that is really fantastic. Yeah, I love him in this. Yeah, he, he's so good in this movie. It's kind of crazy. So if we, we jump ahead a little bit in time, Simba, is, yes. Simba has grown up from this little baby who's got fruit on his face to, um, <laughs> to an adventurous young prince who, you know, he's a little bit too arrogant. He's got that arrogance, the kind of arrogance that makes you thankful we don't really have a monarchy anymore like we technically do but they don't actually do anything whereas in this case the arrogance that simba um exuberates is like oh this this kind of spoiled brat is going to be ruling all of us like if i was one of the zebras i'd be like i don't want to die for this guy really yeah exactly he's very entitled and yes, incredibly that's, entitled. Yeah, that's what I want. I wondered as the film began, and yeah, we see this. And obviously, it's part of a greater arc of of Simba's yes. life, and he's got to start somewhere, and he's going to end somewhere. But if you're in the in the the sense of what we're talking about, fathers and sons, as the audience, are we supposed to? And Simba being the protagonist, are we supposed to relate to him? Are we, are we supposed to identify with this with this character? Because yeah. He's a, he's a prince, and he's the heir to an enormous, um, an enormous monarchy that oversees what could be an entire country. I don't even I don't even know. But how are we as the are we as the audience supposed to be finding ourselves seeing ourselves in his position? Mm. And later on, will that is that why we are affected by that father son relationship because we see ourselves as Simba? And if so, like. How many people watching this movie can be like, oh yeah, he's the heir to heir to a monarchy and he's part of the upper class. Mm. And, and he's a lion. Royalty. And he's a lion. <laughs> like, how, are we supposed to relate to this? Because yeah, at the same time, he is obnoxious and he's a little bit of a douche. Mm. But, you know, you kind of take it as a pinch of salt to say, well, you know, this is the beginning of the film and he will change. But um, yes, it, I find that interesting watching it this time going, oh, as a kid, I'm sure I was like, oh, he's having so much fun. Yeah. Um, go mess around with that annoying uh, bird guy who's basically like a substitute teacher who's forced yes. to take care of kids who have no interest in paying him any respect. Yeah. And it's like, oh, he's running around, he's having fun, he's singing a song about he just can't wait to be king. And then he gets away from the boring guy and they go have an adventure. <laughs> when you watch it now and you're like, this is irresponsible. <laughs> what? <laughs> What are you doing? Like, there's a reason people are trying to look after you and making sure you don't go in the place where we told you not to go. See, now this is where we come in, uh, I think, to as being an adult viewer this time, right? This is why we are seeing different things. Because you're right, yeah. as as a kid, you, you associate that Im- impetuousness of youth. You, know, you really see yourself as Simba. But then as an adult, you're... You really relate, I think, to Mufasa and the incredibly sound advice that he gives. Like, as an adult, you watch Mufasa and go, hmm, yes, good parenting. <laughs> it's like... yeah, you do, yeah. Like, you're, 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 being, you're being stern yet... Yes, um, yeah, affectionate. Stern, yeah, yeah, affectionate. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So I, want, I did wonder this time, like, obviously, me and my brother would have watched this as kids. And as kids, we would have both been like, yeah, we're Simba, we're the hero. Yes. That's, and obviously not <laughs> overtly, but... That's how we would have taken the film. We would have been on Simba's side throughout this whole thing. 
But now my brother is a father himself. He has three mm-hmm. children. So I'd lo- I, I wonder now if he watches it, does he still identify with Simba and he sees our father as Mufasa? Or yes. now that he is a father, is, does he see himself as Mufasa and he's watching Simba and, he's, and Simba to him is one of his two boys? Mm. And uh, yeah, I should have asked him. <laughs> well, well, we'll get him back me... for a, we'll, we'll get him back for another movie. He'll he'll be good for a Godfather episode, having three having three boys. Oh yeah, no, he's got two boys and a girl now. Actually. Oh okay. Oh well, that's 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 fine. He's got time. You can have another yeah. one. Okay, so <laughs> so we've been in the year. Yeah, exactly. So we've got um, we've got Mufasa giving his advice to to Simba. That he takes him around the whole of the kingdom. Uh, is like as far as you know, they watch the sun rise, and he's like everything that the sun, uh, the sun reaches. Everything that the up. light touches. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and uh, we get a feel of of the 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 weight, the responsibility that as a father he he is he is holding on his shoulders. But my favorite father son moment in the Lion King. Um, is uh, exactly after when uh, Simba and Nala, his kind of girlfriend at this point, run away into the elephant graveyard, uh, disobeying Zazu, Rowan Atkinson, um, and going in where, where the one place, the one place Mufasa told him not to go, and where does he go? Into the elephant graveyard, because of course he does. Oh, which he only knows is an elephant graveyard, because that oh. manipulative bastard Scar... Is oh like, yeah, he's so good. That's such a good scene as well, where he's like, "Oh, you wouldn't want to go to the elephant graveyard." Oops, like that. Oh, oh, yeah. Only just... the bravest lions go there. Yeah, what? yeah, brave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is oh, again. He's such an oh, he's such an idiot. But then, yeah, a a child who had some grounding in reality and had some sense of the real world. Maybe wouldn't have been uh, like you said, wouldn't have been so impetuous. But because he's an entitled prince, yes. he's had everything he's ever wanted given to him, yes. and he's been made very aware that one day he is going to be in charge of everything, and nobody is going to be greater or more powerful than he is. Mm. Well, yeah, why wouldn't he run off and just disregard any sense of danger or? Yeah, yeah, um, because he's always the... been safe. There is not a situation yeah. in the world where there has ever been a threat to him. So when he arrives in the elephant graveyard. It's like, oh, this is scary. This is creepy. But then when the the three hyenas turn up, it's like, yeah. So what? Like, I'm the prince. What are you gonna do? And suddenly there's a realization that the rules don't apply here. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. Well, Zazu says like, um, when I think Simba's like, what are you gonna do? And Zazu's like, well, they can do whatever they want. This is their land. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, that. Incredible moment. The the hyenas have, have chased them down. They've got them pinned in the corner. Simba's doing his rah, 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 like trying yeah. to be a man, trying to be a man, but he's he's not. And then he goes to do it again, and fucking Mufasa just echoes around the place. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I love that moment. Oh, it's so good. And then he jumps down and he's like swiping these hyenas. And that that's not my favourite father and son moment. But it's very close to being it. Like, it's like... Yeah, you, da- Dad comes to the rescue. Yes. I, I can I can relate to that moment, not in, the sen- in like a you know, life or death situation, but I can, there are moments in my childhood where my dad was my hero but literally he did he stepped in and either re- relieved me from uh 
a stressful situation or confronted my antagonists. Yeah. And so that in that moment, I was that was like, wow, that's like my dad. And like, I, you, you've met my dad. My dad is a big dude. Yeah. yeah he's like for sure. He's like six six foot five. Yeah. Pretty broad. Used to be a policeman. So when I was a kid, he was very much my Mufasa. He was this big, powerful guy, but he was he was gentle. Mm. They have a you know, gentle giant. I never never really saw him lose his temper. He'd raise his voice to us because we were a couple of boys causing causing terror. But he never ex- he never showed his physical dominance over what was probably most people mm. that I can ever really see, except for one instance where I was being bullied at school when he marched down to the school and confronted my bully. And he didn't really have to be imposing because I was what, nine years old. And so was my, bully. <laughs> yeah. my dad is six foot five and he just had, what he had to do was stand over this kid. And suddenly yeah. the, you know, the, 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 the braggadocious nature of that kid's uh, superiority over me melted away very quickly when he realized this was my dad. Mm. Um, so yeah, that moment in, when Mufasa comes in to rescue, that, that was, that probably helped build up my uh, relatability to this father-son relationship in the film because I had an immediate way of relating to it. Yeah, it's a really powerful moment where we, that moment where it's Simba almost like uh, throwing his voice, I guess, or Mufasa throwing his voice, so it looks like it's Simba who is roaring, kind of goes that way to showing like the potential of what the boy could become, you know, becoming his father. It's like the first moment we kind of see uh, what's what's in store for... Simba, oh yeah, it's bit, it's kind of foreshadowing, yeah. Mm. But then after that, well, Mufasa Mufasa rescues them. Uh, they they go off the hyenas, and they're walking home. Uh, and it's nighttime, and it's the the, the incredible, the like the really beautiful scene of that the stars are and the stars are shining down. And uh, Zazu is trying to apologize for for letting the kids get away, but Mufasa's not having any of it. Um, oh, this. Mufasa turns around to to the to the two lion cubs and just says, "Zazu, take Nala home," or something like that. And then yeah. you could then Simba like sinks down into the grass. Yeah, because Mufasa says, um, "I need to teach my son a lesson." Yes, and it's just like, oh, it's such an, a gorgeous piece of animation because it looks exactly like. Uh, like a lion sinking down in, into the gra- into the grass, but yeah. all children know that feeling when your parents are good. They're, they're going to have a word with you now, and yeah, you and, and your your stomach sinks, and <laughs> yeah, you know, like, that oh, that no. dread of yeah of oh no, I do not want to be having this conversation is like yeah, it's a perfect it's universal, visual, real, yeah yeah, it is a universal, but it's just uh, it's such a perfect representation of that feeling where you, everything drains away from you yeah um, absolutely and i think that this, that's a really important part of the film in terms of building a a relationship between that father and son that you will grow to be very fond of mm. and obviously will um mourn when it's taken away yes because what what i noticed this way this time round was that was an, a moment where if mufasa had phone off the handle and yelled at simba told him how close he was to making a serious mistake when it came to it comes to the <laughs> the later moment where that relationship is is torn apart you won't care as much because 
we've shown that Mufasa can be a bit of a jerk, maybe, or because yes. you, you was you again at this point we relate to Simba. We we are Simba, <clears throat> so we don't really want to be yelled at, and we're still on his side, kind of. So the fact that Mufasa handles it with a graceful uh, affection, he's stern, he's t- t- teaching a lesson, but he's teaching. Yes, him. He's he's not reprimanding him or or punishing him. He's like, this is something we need to learn from, and I'm going to teach you something about life that you need to learn here. And it's just it's it just it only helps build up this the love that you can feel in that relationship. Yeah. And, yeah you know, what what makes that scene so perfect is it takes the the terrified child and then teaches him a lesson about responsibility where as we like Simba is is visibly terrified but then rather as you're saying rather than scolding him he's like look up at the stars these are our ancestors one day I will be one of the stars looking down upon you and you have to be able to do this like yeah like you have to be better than you are right now because there is a there is a huge responsibility and at the moment you're not stepping up um and it's a really powerful lesson that is then uh exacerbated i guess when they start playing and they have that that kind of play fight and that roll around in the grass yeah um and it's that perfect father son bonding moment where the father has said these are the rules this is why you have to do better now let's stop being so serious and just have fun and because it's, i love you yeah. because i love you exactly and it's just ah oh, it's so perfect because rather than feeling like they have become distant it like after a punishment it feels like they've become closer and that's a really powerful uh yeah that's a really powerful scene i think which perfectly yeah, I agree. Which perfectly sets us up for the twist that comes next, Dave. What what happens after that? Oh gosh, are we, this get, is... are we, jump, are we going? Are we going straight to it? I think so. Uh, it's it's one of the comedic highlights of the movie. Comedic highlights of the movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the scene that has me rolling on the floor with laughter. Are we? Are you talk? Wait, you tell me what you're talking about. Oh, the stampede! The stampede! Yeah, absolutely, the stampede. <laughs> it is. I thought a... maybe you were talking about the um, the the scar song. Oh no, but the scar song is awesome. My That's God. so great. Yeah, there are some really amazing parallels. It, be prepared, right? Yeah, the yeah where he's amassing the, this hyena force. There is some really incredible parallels between visually between those hyenas and Nazi Germany. That song. It does like this really incredible. Um, it, the Scar is standing atop the rock, uh, looking strong for the first time since we've seen him. Um, yeah, he and, only looks strong when he's around the hyenas. When yes, he's around be, other lions, he seems weak yeah, and outcast. But yeah, he's taken. He's found himself a position where he can be a king of sorts. Yeah, and there's this like green, dark green poisonous light shining up for some reason scar causes an earthquake i never really got what what that what was going on there i think we just have to take it as metaphor but when you've got these hyenas are marching in a goose step like literally their their legs are walking 
as we as like the footage shows of of Nazi soldiers. Um, yeah. And uh, they walk, and as they're marching, they uh, they've got their ears pointed up, uh, pointed upright, and then they're like, uh, oh, that th- their ears are almost up, like you know the the Nazi raising of the hand, and they tilt their heads in unison in this kind of weird militaristic fashion towards Scar that shows like this is something dark, really dark that goes way beyond, you know, killing your subjects so that you can feast on their flesh um, and then they can eat you when you turn to grass. Like, it's it's evil. It's such an incredible character moment for Scar, which shows, like, before we thought that he was a bit cunning and he was a bit of a dick. Maybe he just wanted to kill Simba so he could be king, but he is willing to go really far. Um, uh, to becoming but, yeah, yeah no yeah absolutely but he's willing to like plan to very extreme lengths but he does absolutely nothing himself yes right right up until you know the the moment on the cliff later on which I'm sure we'll get to but if I noticed that this time was like he keeps he wants all these things to happen but he doesn't do any of it himself he doesn't start the stampede himself he doesn't kill Simba himself if everything he is important he kind of gets them to do yeah which is very much like like a dictator who sort of just sits there above above a rock and goes do my bidding and you are the soldiers you're the expendable ones i don't want to put myself in harm's way but you guys go off yeah go nuts yeah and he's got multiple opportunities to kill simba as well but instead i even okay so let's get to the stampede so um scar takes simba down into some random gorge valley whatever um yeah. canyon um and it's like stand by this tree because your dad's gonna do something cool and simba's like okay and then scarly <laughs> scar <laughs> leaves the hyenas cause a, a stampede of, of the wildebeest and scar uh tricks mufasa into going to uh to rescue his son uh that's what's we... clever about it though because yes if he just wanted to kill simba he could have just taken Simba into the gorge, set the stampede off, and Simba's probably going to die. Yes. But he's, he wants to kill two birds with one stone. So he's like, well, if I get Mufasa down there too, good chance he's going to die as well. And I'll be nearby just to mop up anything if anything goes wrong. Yeah. So he is very, he's very clever. And that's what something that, as terms of a difference between him and Mufasa, I wanted to talk about how that like views of traditional masculinity and what it, what this film's trying to say about it. So, you have Mufasa, who is that traditional masculine figure. Mm. He's strong. He's big. He has a deep, like, imposing voice to match yeah. his imposing size. He's, he's he's temperate. Like, he doesn't fly off the handle. But he know he's like it reminded me of um, that line in one of the Avengers movies when someone's talking about the Hulk and the way they say he avoids he avoids the fight because he knows he's going to win. Yes, like, that's what that's what Mufasa reminds me of. It's like he doesn't need to fight because even if he does he's going to win but he, he'd rather find another way around it which is um something that i suppose that scar has in uh, is similar to him but he does it in a cowardly way like he just he doesn't want to get involved because first of all he might lose because <laughs> yeah. he's not str- he's not strong but that's why he needs to be cunning mm-hmm. it's a thor like, it's think, a thor and loki situation isn't it oh very much yes exactly yeah. i made the avengers a link but i didn't make that link yeah no yeah. you're right 
Yeah, absolutely. But then I wondered what the message is about Scar being being not as strong as Mufasa and not as good looking as Mufasa and being kind of outcast. Is the is the message there like those people are always gonna be dangerous? And if you're if you're big and strong and handsome, you're the good guy. And if you're it's kind of darker and you look a bit weird <laughs> and but you're smarter, but you but you live in a world that's governed by physicality mm. is the only is the only way you can get ahead to be deceptive and manipulative and essentially murder people. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it is a, a a weird message that just seems to repeat across media consistently. As you're saying, it is uh, that kind of what a man should be. And a man should be physical. And a man shouldn't be expressing his emotions. He should be neutral in, in almost all situations. Yeah. yeah, and if he is going to express an emotion, then it should be anger. Um, but not too much anger, um, only when appropriate. Yeah, because if, if, if it flies off into uncontrolled rage, then it becomes um, un- unattractive, I suppose. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so it is, it is weird. It's that, you know, that same thing they say, they say about poison. They, they say poison is, is a woman's weapon. Men don't use poison. It's a women's weapon because women don't, this is the, not not something we say now, but this is like you know the the Shakespearean uh, yeah. metaphor. Poison is, is is a women's weapon because they don't they can't physically compete, so they have to use other means such as poison, and that's where characters like Scar and and Loki are put into this bracket, which is like effectively feminizing them. When I say feminizing, I mean in like the yeah. derogatory term where it's saying you are not able to compete on the same level of masculinity as um, as you know the real men. You're not a real man. You have to get the hyenas to do your dirty work for you kind of thing. And real men, you know, real men run on Normandy beaches and, and real men uh, face their problems head on. They don't... Um, employ like underhanded tactics yes yeah 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 so yeah and especially if we're comparing this to hamlet which is which it's adapted from it's that yeah it's still bringing that same kind of theme uh from you know 500 years ago which is yeah which is a bit odd um so the scar gets the hyenas to cause the stampede simba is trapped it looks like he's gonna get trampled at the last minute Mufasa rescues his son. Mufasa tries to escape, Again, yeah. and uh, as as Mufasa is is climbing up, he sees Scar on the top, and he's like, "Brother, help me!" And uh, he doesn't. No, I I love that moment where Scar is just like very upright and proud and yes. smug. Yes, and he's just just looking at him, and then he very suddenly like digs his claws into um, Mufasa's paws. And it's like yeah. he's just re- relishing this, probably yeah. for the first time in their lives, relishing this position of power. Yeah. And be like, I, I now hold your life in my paws. Yes. As opposed to every other day of Scar's life where he knew that if he stepped out of line, if we're, if we're to believe that these lions behave like real lions, like they haven't, they haven't softened up nature enough. Like they talk about how lions eat wildebeest and zebra and stuff. Yeah. Yet we see these cute little zebra running around. Um, so if we're to believe that 
line culture is being portrayed here, Scar knows that if he steps out of line, being lions, Mufasa would just kill him or at least banish him, chase him out of the Pride Lands. So for the first time in their lives, he is in a position of power. And I bet it, I bet it was infectious. I bet it was intoxicating. Mm. I, bet, I bet it was like, I'm really going to enjoy this. And this is a sign of things to come when it won't just be Mufasa I have in my claws. It will be the entire Pride Lands and everyone will look up to me with those eyes going, please help me, my, yeah. my liege. And yeah, then the, the leaning in right into his ear. Long live the king. Oh, it's brilliant. really brilliant because kind of, as you're saying, the only reason that Scar isn't already dead is because he's not a threat to Mufasa and he's not a yeah. threat to Simba. Because if Scar was a threat to Mufasa or to Simba, then Mufasa would have killed him a long time ago. So the, yeah, fact, exactly. that, the fact that he's even alive at all goes to show that Mufasa holds him uh, in that kind of contempt. Where, which might not be, you know, conscious. It might not be a conscious, like, I think less of you. But at least subconsciously, Scar is a lesser man, a lesser lion. That he yeah. will even allow him to still be alive shows that he's not considered, you know. Yeah, and also it's another sign of um, attractive masculinity where yeah. you don't have to... You don't have to um, be exuberant in your dominance over another man if it's you know if it's not uh if it's not a really a, a threat it's not something you have to display mm. and it's a show of compassion it's i know that you're not exactly the kind of element we want around here but you are my brother and you, you maybe you're a bit annoying and you're a bit rude but you know i'm not like what would your mother think is a line that yeah sky uses later on simba but i kind of imagine um, Mufasa in like some untold backstory being like oh, he's really annoying and he's he might turn out to be trouble one day but I can't get rid of him because you know what would mum say yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 you're right you're right so we get that really awesome slow motion shot of Mufasa falling Simba's eyes going uh, as his, his dad goes down and yeah uh, that's yeah. a great shot actually where yeah uh, the, like the it, the camera pulls away from Simba. Like yes. normally in a, in a moment of heightened emotion in a film, like you'll pan close up to the character's face so you can really see the emotional the emotional fraughtness of his mm. face. But they, that's interesting that they pull away. They do the opposite. You kind of almost as if you're looking at it from Mufasa's point of view, mm. like it, pulling away from his son. Yeah, and then uh, his father's dead. Oh God, is that? amazing moment where Simba goes to to Mufasa's body and is trying to wake him up. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you actually, like, what is if this is a moment that gets you like gets to you, either you maybe you well up or yeah. you cried once more time that when I think cuz it's this is not like a a single moment, this is a like a, a scene almost, yeah. a sequence that lasts for 5 minutes. Yeah. So where in that in this micro sequence does that hit you in in the gut. Oh, that's that's it... the bit. That's the bit. It's just before, just before Scar appears. I think it's where Simba's run up to him, and there's so there's this kind of hope that his dad's still alive, right? And it's like, yeah. you know, he's like he. It's dad. He's the strongest being, literally in the world. You know that feeling you have when you're a kid and your parents are gods, and it's like my dad yeah. couldn't die. That's ridiculous. 
Um, and so he's just like, Dad, come on, get up. Um, and then he, does he like climb under his paw kind of thing? To like to, to... Well, he, he, he pushes on him a few times, like, come on, Dad, get yeah. up. And then, but then he does the, like, the bit that, the first bit that gets to me is like, it's not, because there's a moment where you see, sort of see Mufasa's body underneath a tree, yes. a broken tree. Which I wondered if there's some kind of metaphor there, but I wasn't, I couldn't quite figure out what it was. Um, but yeah, so you see, you see Mufasa's body and then you have that, you're, you're very much in, I think you're very much in Simba's position where you're like, maybe he'll be okay, but chances are he's not. Yeah. And you can kind of see that, that's kind of how they managed to animate an animal's face to make you understand his thought process and his emotional state yeah. where he's, he's kind of got that worried look on his face, but he, you know that he knows. Yes. That, that Mufasa's gone. So he's like pushing him saying, wake up, get up. And it's, it's a moment where after the first kind of attempt, he sort of trots around to Mufasa's face and you start to see a tear come. And I'm like, oh mm. crap, he knows. He knows that he knows that he's gone, but then he still tries and then he goes, help! Yes. Somebody! Yeah. And then the, anybody. The, that, and then the, the any, anybody kind of goes down because he knows it's hopeless. And it's mm. like, oh, geez. And then, yeah, he tucks himself under Mufasa's yeah. giant paw. That's the bit that gets me. Oh. It's yeah, heavy. Geez. That's heavy. It's... It is heavy. Then Scar d- turns up and does his whole evil, like, oh, no one's going to accept you after what you've done. You're a, you're a real yeah. bastard. Yeah, I like that. That's another moment where um, Scar just tells Simba what he already knows. And, but the way he says it, it's like, the king is dead. Yeah. And then S- Simba looks up at him like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. It's like, oh, yeah. Jesus. And if it wasn't for you, he'd still be alive. So, oh, mm. Jesus. Lay off him, man. <laughs> and, and then... And you, then God damn it, Scar. And, didn't you see yeah. what just happened? Yeah, haven't you done enough? And then he's like, oh, what would your mother think? Oh, just yeah. that is harsh. Yeah. It's like <laughs> watching, it's, it's, it's like watching it's the George Foreman Muhammad Ali fight where you're watching it and it's just pounding and pounding him and pounding him and you're like, I can't watch. I can't. Yeah, I it's yeah. like... It's like that thing in The Simpsons, like, stop, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's what, that's like Scar's, um, Scar's thing, is like he wants to completely destroy yes. Simba's, uh, I don't know, his, his life from his, from his perspective. Mm. It's like he needs to convince Simba that there's nothing for him to go back to. He has fucked up big time and no one's ever going to forgive him. No, but you know what's really incredible about that is that, for Scar, uh, he, he convinces Simba and Simba, Simba runs away. And then the hyenas come down and Scar says, kill him. Yeah, like, so that, why, why f- like, fuck with his head? And exactly, then exactly. That him, is such a perfect character moment for Scar. Where yeah. if, if Scar had just had the hyenas come down to the body by Mufasa, the hyenas could have just killed the lion there and it would have been fine. But instead, yeah. he tortures him. He forces, like, breaks this boy, forces him just to like run the mouse. away. And just then... like the mouse at the beginning! Yeah. I, oh. Oh, I, I may just make that link. Yeah. That is, like, it's, it's sadistic and, and really yeah, brilliant. Yeah, he, yeah he, gets, he does get sadistic pleasure out yeah. of it. The same as the, the long live the king moment you were describing. You know, he sinks his yes. body. Yes. Yeah, it's a real... Yeah, he's, he's a real bastard so so good jeremy irons is brilliant in this film um okay yeah, so, so i wonder why like so does he like yeah so he ha- we think we agree he has some sadistic pleasure in just yeah, like, sure. torturing simba 
yeah. and then he sends the hyenas anyway which is oh, savage yeah and then but then he knows like he's an intelligent chap like he knows the hyenas probably fuck up more than they get right well don't so the, do think... the hyenas like don't they say oh we'll tell scar that he's dead right so they're like yeah, yeah. Scar and if he ever comes back him. then we'll kill him yeah right 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 yeah yeah, yeah. So, did you think that, that maybe Scar was just not hedging his bets and was just laying down a backup plan? It's like, well, I'm not going to chase after Simba and kill him because why should I? I'm the king. I'm higher. I'm above all that. Yeah, I'll send yeah, the grunts yeah, yeah. to do it. Yeah. But exactly. If the they same... fuck up, I want to break his his spirit. I want to break his psyche to the point where he will still never be a threat, even yeah. if he doesn't die. But then he's so surprised later when Simba comes back. He must assume that. Hyenas were going to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Which is I, weird because they already failed the first time in the Elephant Graveyard. Yeah, I think they're so, he's so arrogant, though, isn't he? Like in oh yeah, that like he's blinded by by his own arrogance, which is really what what comes back to to get him later on. Yeah. The, right. uh, so then Simba goes away, and we have uh, Timon, Pumbaa, Akuna Matata. All that stuff, which is, is all brilliant. No it's all hilarious. It's fantastic. It's all fun, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's colourful, but it doesn't have anything to do with his dad. So, Akuna Matata. Fast forward to uh, uh, to Matthew Broderick Simba. Yes, Matthew Broderick Simba. Yeah. I like that the, the little um, showing time pass where like they're walking along the log and he gets a little bit older each, yes. each time. And there's yeah. that cool like teenage phase where he's got a mohawk. You're like, oh, I wonder what he was like then. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. he's like, well, I don't like a young man. All of a sudden, yeah, it's a really nice montage. Um, of yeah, it shows his his progression and it, it because they're it's the the three of them were walking together. You although Timon, Pumbaa, and Simba don't share that much screen time. That song and that montage does enough to build the bond between these three characters so that yeah. we, we've only seen them on screen together for like five minutes and they've gone from strangers to best friends and really that relationship has been built up on a log in about 15 seconds um yeah and it works i yeah it, it really no, it definitely does yeah 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 so the next real like father moment i think comes when there are yeah, Matthew Broderick Simba. <laughs> yes. As, uh, it's at the end of that whole montage and they're kind of lying on the grass looking at the stars and having a conversation about what the oh, stars are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that moment because there's this great thing about Timon and Pumbaa where Pumbaa is portrayed as an, as, the, as an idiot. Yes. But yeah, he keeps getting figuring getting things right and Timon being brash and thinking yeah. that the answer to everything is usually wrong about stuff. So I, I love that moment where he's like, what what are those glowing dots up there? And Timon's like, they're fireflies. Fireflies stuck up in that big bluish black thing. Oh no, because he's, Pumba says, what do you think they are? And Timon says, I don't think, I know. Yes. He's so, yeah. Yeah, but it, it comes from a real like uh, insecure place of arrogance. Yes. You know what I mean? Like someone who, he's like um, Jay from the Inbetweeners. Like he's the mm-hmm. most insecure of them all, but he that's why he has to pretend like he's the least, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's T- Pumba who says, "I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away." Yeah, yeah. Pumba, Pumba with, with you, you, everything's about everything's gas. gas. That <laughs> is such a great line. That I is... love the, the fart humor in this. Yeah, yeah, it's really brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and then we then Sim- then Simba comes out with what he was taught yes. about what the stars are, and then we 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 remember what his his daddy issues are. Yeah. 
and yet Timon laughs them away, right? He says, "Oh, they're you know they're the the kings of you know all the kings." Yeah. And Timon's like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard and rolls around on the grass laughing. And that yeah. is like a sledgehammer to Simba, right? It's like that he's moved on, he's left all of that behind him, but like this may well be the first him. time that he's thought about this since since he arrived in the jungle with Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah. He might have just forgotten about it and it's only this happenstance conversation which kind of brings it all back and he has to sort of go for a little mope by himself. Yeah. So then uh, his... The older version of his girlfriend, Nala, arrives. She's like, oh, Scar is the king now, and he's messed up, and everything's left, and I've had to come all the way to the bloody jungle to try and find some food. Uh, yes. you, need, you, you need to go back and become the king, because everyone thought that you were dead. And Simba's like, I don't, I don't want to be the king. Like that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I killed my dad. I don't want to be the king. You don't understand me. No one understands yeah. me. You don't even know what I've been through. Yeah. I mean, this, is all, uh, this is all after the, the Oscar-winning song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And you're like, and Tomo and Pumba are like, well, that's it. He's going to get, he's, they're going to bone and then they're going to be in love. Yes. And then our, our trio's down to two. Oh, and yeah. And life is over. Fine. <laughs> they're just so like, because Tomo and Pumba have this real sense of they've been screwed over by the world so many times that when yeah. something like their best friend they assume their best friend is just going to leave them because yeah. because a bit of tail showed up they're like ugh <laughs> a literal fine. a literal bit of tail showed up yeah yeah but that's that's a cool moment when again he Simba goes for another strop after his last one yeah and it, he's kind of pacing around and kind of spouting this kind of I felt like he'd almost been like he's been indoctrinated by Timon and Pumbaa to some yes. degree. But yeah. they're like, put the past behind you. Nothing matters if it's already happened. What only matters is now. Yeah. So he's it's, it's pacing around going, I can't go back. You can't change the past. And then it again, a bit in another bit of amazing, like facial animation on Simba. It's like his stern kind of. Um, the way he's held onto this for so, so strongly for so long, it just fades in a second as he looks up to the stars and just yells, "You'll always," he said, "You'll always be there for me." Yeah, but you're not, and it's because of me. That's another moment. Oh. Where I was like, "Oh shit!" Because it comes yeah. out of nowhere. Yes, like like as far as you're aware, to, uh, Simba's living the Akuna Matata life, and he even you know he shrugs off Nala, saying, "No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that." And he. Because it happens so suddenly, you, you get the sense that this was right under the surface this whole time. Mm. And he's never really been able to move on from it. And it's just always been eating away at him. And oh, that's another good moment. That it is brilliant. Gets me. And that's really good because that then starts, that's the beginning of the, the, I guess, the transformational father son sequence where he shouts at that and then Rafiki returns. Yeah, I kind of think actually the la the first time he mopes after the stars conversation is when that whole sequence gets kicked off because he kind of it's a bit of like a Deus Ex Machina like how can we get him back on track here? So yes. he kind of like the sl slumps into these these flowers and the seeds get poofed away and they float through the breeze and somehow end up at Rafiki's tree and he grabs yes. them and does some right, witch doctor yeah. shit and, and he's, he's like, like <gasps> Simba, he's alive, he's <laughs> alive, and. It uh, I, that moment made me think, made me realise that um, there's a bit of a, I think you can see a bit of a parallel between the Lion King and Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Rafiki. Yeah. Because he's a, he's a, he's very much, or maybe Yoda and him are very, very similar 
in there, both these kind of like teachers, these wise old heads um, who can who guide the hero mm. back to back to where they're supposed to be. So where, whereas Yoda teaches Luke how to be a Jedi, it's uh, you know Rafiki teaches, or at least helps Simba realize that he should be. He needs to go back and claim who he really is and mm. be a king. And but so there, are, I thought there was some quite funny like comparisons actually, where like they're old and. When it's like in um, Empire, where Luke goes to Dagobah to find Yoda, and like they're they're old and they're they're wise, but they also are a bit weird and they get like strangely excitable about stuff. Yes, and they they carry a stick which they hit things with, uh-huh. and they walk they walk around very slowly with it, like they are old men. But it, you don't really see this in Empire, but you know in the prequels, then suddenly Yoda's like spinning around and doing all this lightsaber kung fu shit. Yeah. And which is the same thing with Rafiki, where he's like stumbling around with the stick, and then when it comes to it, he's swinging around the trees and running around Simba and whacking him on the head. And then obviously later on, you see him actually doing some kung fu shit, and it was all very exciting. And and it only got capped off when I went, hold on, both of these characters have are helping the protagonist deal with their father issues, both of which are voiced by James Earl Jones. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. I mean, Mufasa and Darth Vader. There's another Simpsons, the uh, Simpsons bit there, isn't there? Where uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, in the Simpsons, they mirror the scene that that is to come. Uh, oh yes. In in a moment. Um, but yeah, you're you're right about Rafiki and um, and Yoda very much because they they have this innate wisdom about learning acceptance, but to learn to truly be able to accept reality and to accept yourself you have to be open to how ridiculous the world is right it's that uh yoda and rafiki are both clowns really especially when when they turn up for the first time and like rafiki is utterly ridiculous and so is yoda he's just like going through luke's lunchbox or whatever like um they're these insane, crazy, really stupid characters, but who are protagonists are like, you're not taking me seriously. And the point is, <laughs> like, yeah. get over yourself, I think is like the lesson of both of these characters is like, you think that your problems are, are insurmountable because you are facing them in the wrong way. Um, it, you need to open yourselves up and uh, to acceptance, and, and and that's how they kind of do it. These, yeah, these really ridiculous, really beautiful characters who teach you a lesson through humor rather than uh, rather than through moping, um, which is what's really great. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I think the TV shows like, say, Iron Fist, for example, don't work with the mopey protagonist because there's no one for them to bounce off of in that kind of ridiculous way if you're, yeah. you're just moping and serious without that counterbalance then um it just kind of comes off you know you need to there needs to be two sides to the coin and exactly and yeah. those, those characters really are like the the opposite of of where our protagonists yeah. are at that point in their story so we get uh simba chases uh rafiki through the tree and he's like your dad's alive follow me come with me i'll show you your father and simba's like he's alive oh my god this is the best news ever he climbs through uh he looks down into the into the pool of water and uh sees 
his own reflection. Um, yes. And so again, I, yeah, is that I wondered there was. I think it ha- it's it's quite obvious, at least with well, not maybe it's not obvious, but I wonder if there's a message there that's that taps into our um, kind of what we're we're exploring here. And it's like, is is that message there that we are all to some degree our fathers? Yeah. Our fathers do do reside in us to some degree, and we carry our fathers with us everywhere. And especially in the case of the Lion King, when they look remarkably similar mm. as they get older, like I I. I well, maybe actually. Like, I, I, I don't really, I don't look at myself often in the mirror and think, "Oh shit, I thought that was my dad for a second. Like, we don't look all that similar, but there are elements of of him in me, not just biologically, but in the, in different degrees too. And I, yeah, I just wonder if that is something that can be applied to everyone, and what what makes a universal father son story work, and which the Lion King maybe seems to do. It'd be interesting to talk to. You know, to get other people's opinions about whether they feel that feel it that way too. Do they see? Does your father need to be a powerful figure in order for you to be able to relate to Mufasa and Simba, mm. or is does does your the character of your father make any difference? Because I mean, it, it definitely was that the case for me. I very much saw my dad as, like you said before, um, it took it came quite late in life when I realised that my dad was just a bloke. Yes, and I I was looking at him as um, this godlike or king-like figure for for a lot of my life and going into my adult life too. And it wasn't until I started to see his foibles and his uh, his other other dimensions that I was like, oh no, actually, he's just a guy who struggles like I do, and he isn't a superhero. Yeah, there's there's a really great uh, idiom which I think I heard from uh, the hip hop artist Jadena. Which is, uh, you're not your own man until your father dies. Which Ooh. I've thought about a lot since, uh, since then because I think I thought that that was so interesting. Because as a man, you are always holding yourself to the image of your father, to the expectations of your father. Oh and yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not until your father dies that you then are doing things for your like for your own expectations um which is really interesting when you then pass that on you know down the generations and often now these days you know you we have grandfathers and great grandfathers so you reach a point where like who no one is their own man until they are like 60 or 70 years old and then that is when you you know you start uh living your life not to impress you know, uh, to reach your father's expectations, but to to do things for yourself, um, I think that's that's really interesting, because I I get told all the time that I look like my dad, all the time. Um, I showed uh, a picture of my dad to uh, to a girl that I'm seeing, and she went, "Oh, I thought that was you." Oh wow! And this was this was a picture of me. Just after, uh, of me and my dad when I was just born, and my dad, um, and so my dad was my age was was twenty seven, and she's like, oh, I thought that was you. I said, Well, that is me. I'm the baby. She went, No, 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 the one holding you. I thought that's you. Like, no, <laughs> no, it's not. No. Wow. Um, and uh, when I I was back in the UK with my dad over the summer, and uh, 
his neighbor came out. I hadn't seen his neighbor since I was like 15 or something. And she went, oh, you two look so similar. Um, I was like, oh, God damn it. I, I'm like, it, it really bugs me, but I don't know why, because I love my dad and I think my dad is, is, is the best. But then what's also really interesting is um, a while ago, I went with my, my stepdad to my mum's school. My mum's the head teacher of, of her school. And me and my stepdad went to something that was happening at the school and we were sat together. Um, and afterwards, one of the, the teachers said to my mum, God, Dom and Rich are so similar. They sit there, they sit in the same way, their body language is the same, they nod to music and tap their feet in the same way. And I was like, how am I both of these men, right? How do I look like my father, have the body language of my stepfather, and, like, the interests and personalities of both of them? Um, That's a really interesting, like, nature and nurture kind of question. Because, yeah, things like body language and stuff, you could pick, you pick up from the people that you spend the most time with. So you grew up in a household with your stepfather. Yeah. So those are the kind of things you subconsciously probably copied. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, you can't control who you look like. And you look like the, uh, the, <laughs> the sperm that escaped your dad. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, for sure. For sure. But it's really interesting. And maybe it's a thing of it depends who I'm with, right? If I'm with my dad, maybe my body language changes to mirror that of oh, my yeah. dad and that's why people say that we we look similar because when i'm with my dad i my body language becomes more like my dad and then when, when i'm with my stepdad it my body language changes to be more like him in which case it is i am trapped in this you become your own man the day your father dies situations because uh, firstly i never wanted to be a teacher my parents said oh you should be a teacher and i point blank refused now i've been a teacher for five years and i can't fucking get out of it um <laughs> and it, it then there's the creative side of me my dad my dad is a professional musician that's his job and i have spent you know all my life well since i turned 18 trying to become a writer trying to do this i'm, I'm in china now to save the money to fund you know creating comics because i need to do this artistic creative thing that comes from my dad like I can't do the regular teaching job because that's not who I am. I'm this creative person like my dad, but I'm doing the job of my stepdad, right? It's like this, oh, I'm not my own man because I'm trapped in the reality of my father's. And wow. it's like staring down into this reflective pool of, oh, there, there is your father and... I'm like, listen, Rafiki, there's neither of my fathers in there. It's only me. And uh, that's how, that was my segue to get us back on topic. Nice one. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Yeah, that's it. That is, that's, that is very interesting because yeah, going back to how I, like when I started that little, that little segue, there you literally, if you, you are Simba, you are literally looking at a reflection of your fathers Yeah. as, you, as, um, as it comes back to you. Whereas I, I was always, t I've been told I look more like my mum. And as I said earlier on at the beginning of the podcast, like my mum and I are a bit more similar in personality and in, in spirit. And that actually my, my mum's father, uh, I, saw, I saw a picture of him in the last couple of years from when he was in the RAF in the 50s. Someone had snapped a picture of him. He was a medic in the RAF and he's giving um, people vaccinations. 
and someone took a po- picture of him. And I don't know if I ever showed this to you, but that photo looks like I have teleported back. I've, tra- <laughs> I've gone back in time to the 1950s to work as a medic in the RAF. Like, that no is way. me. It's really freaky. But so, whereas I don't really have the, anything physical that I can share with my with my dad, apart from the fact we both have long hair. Yeah. And I don't know. We're kind of a tall family. So whereas other people look at me, my dad and go, Oh, you're tall, aren't you? It's like, well, he's six, five and I'm six, one. So actually I feel short. <laughs> yeah. I feel right, short. Right. And my, Thanks, my brother is, is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my brother, my brother is fit height wise sits in between my dad and I. Mm. So, and my dad has four, four brothers. No, there's four of them. He has three brothers. The shortest of which is my height, six, one. So I grew up in, and we spent much more time with that side of my family uh, when we were kids than my mum's side. Um, so I grew up around men. All my male role models were big people. Mm. And I, I always felt small. So I, I, maybe this is off topic, but I, I've kind of always... Now, when I'm around other men, I have a very poor, a very poor perception of our comparative heights. Like if I spend some time around some guys and then later on someone says who's taller out of all of you i'll be like i've got no idea like i don't know yes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people are, and then other someone else will say oh you're way taller than all of them I'm like am i like i have no idea like when you i you and i and our the the, the third element of our holy trinity from the, university with the Elliot, third wheel I, the third wheel <laughs> he won't like that um <laughs> yeah when the three of us hang out together it doesn't occur to me that i'm the tall one yeah but I mean, that's it's just a how I perceive my own it's one element of how I perceive my own masculinity because of my father and my mm. other male role models but yeah. Yeah, maybe that was off topic slightly but let's, no, let's get back on it no I was going to say that's that's interesting I have a similar thing um, in China because I'm what 5'10 5'11 generally if I was surrounded by other men I would be saying I was 5'11 but I don't I don't know which one I but <laughs> in the UK, I'm like exactly, I'm either exactly average height or like two centimeters under exactly average height, um, which is, you know, average. Uh, but then when I come to China, every the average height is like that much lower where people are going, oh, you're tall. And I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> oh, that's nice. OK. That's Thanks. nice. And then I go back to the UK and I'm like. How is everyone so tall? Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's. I should say China is the, the majority of people are like either a similar height to me or shorter. But because there are so many people, like they, it seems like every student is a basketball player. They're they're huge. My students are huge, and everybody outside of the school is tiny. I don't know how that works. Maybe they're breeding that's some kind good. of super soldier generation. I'm I'm not sure. How working, <laughs> but okay, so. Simba looks in the pool where Rafiki says that that your your father lives here. He looks in, he sees himself, and Rafiki's like, "Yo, he's he'll always live within you." And Simba's like, "Bitch, I didn't come here for your bullshit." <laughs> um, he he leaves, and then this is when we get the the Simpsons parodied moment of uh, the the weather, the weird freak storm. Where all the clouds come together and form a giant lion's head. It's, no, so it's the full body, isn't it? He sort of walks out. Oh, so he does. So he it's, does. it's the Simpsons. The Simpsons. It is the Simpsons one head. that is the, just the head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then because get... 
We should, it's all we should the James Earl Joneses, right? Yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen that Simpsons reference, um, I don't know who's looking up at the sky, but then it's yeah. Lisa. Oh, no, it's, it's, bleeding, it's Lisa. Yeah, bleeding gums. Because uh, James has just Jones, died. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, James Earl Jones voiced um, bleeding gums Murphy. Yeah, the jazz player, and yeah. she, he's just died, and she does a bit of soul searching and sees his head in the in the sky, a la the Lion King, and bleeding gums shows up and they speak, but then. Mufasa's head pops up and goes, yeah. Simba. And then yeah. Darth Vader's head shows up and goes, <laughs> yeah. I'm your father. And then James Earl Jones himself, yes. his head pops up and goes, this is CNN. And it's <laughs> all the, the James Earl Jones catchphrases all the once. It was, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah, and that's, that's really our last father and son moment, I think, is because it is this Simba becoming his own man and acceptance of his destiny yeah, and, of, uh, of what he remembering, needs to do. Yeah, like like Mufasa says, remember who you are. Mm. So so he does. And so he does. And he goes back and he beats Scar and he becomes the Lion King and it's great. Yes. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Like between, in terms of a relationship, an active relationship between father and son, that's where it ends. But then yeah. from then on, Simba and Mufasa almost become one and the same. Like he accepts mm. the part of him that is Mufasa and, you know, takes his rightful place as as the Lion King. So the end of the film really is the the completion of that that opening metaphor, the, the circle of life moment. Not only uh is the Pride Lands restored after Scar has burned the whole place down, um but we get that mirror moment to uh Mufasa raising his son up into the Pride Lands and everybody bowing down. We see that Simba has become the Lion King. Him and Nala have got it on, and now oh, there's yeah. a now there's a, a a baby lion there. Um, Rafiki is back again. That cheeky monkey. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's actually an ape. I apologize. No, he's um, got a long he's got a long tail, so he's a monkey. Does he? Oh, he's a monkey. He's a monkey. I I take the apology back. Um, and that really that really is the you know. The film has come full circle. The story has come full circle. Simba has gone. He's accepted himself. He's become the man that his father knew he could be. Um, he's become the king he was destined to be. It's kind of the perfect ending. It's a much nicer ending than Hamlet, which it is based upon. Um, <laughs> yes, they disney up the ending, at least. They really did. In, in Hamlet, everybody dies. In fact, the, the only reason that there is one character left... Hamlet is dying, and Hamlet, I think it's Horatio, is, is Hamlet's best friend, and Horatio is like, everyone's dead, I'm going to kill myself. And Hamlet's like, don't kill yourself, Horatio, Re- like, survive. So you could tell everyone my story. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like no, Horatio, you, you must live, so you could tell everyone how fucking great I am. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I can relate to that. Ham- <laughs> it's like um, yeah yeah so that sounds about right that sounds about right but uh yeah i think disney it's a more satisfying ending than uh than its shakespearean counterpart for sure oh yeah for sure especially for the kids like you know. yeah yeah definitely and it, you uh, know, it, it needed to pave the way for the uh equally successful sequels that followed i have never seen any of the sequels i think i saw lion king 2 once but i don't really remember much about it apart from there was like a a bit of a Loki-esque story where there's another young lion in the Pride who Simba's daughter gets involved with. And it turns out it's the illegitimate son of Scar. 
Of course. Of course. They bloody a... frost giants. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there are some interesting things that happen in that, this, that finale in The Lion King. Like when like Sarabi is like summoned by Scar and he's like, why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you hunting? He's like, there's no food. Everything's left because you fucked the place up. He's like, you're not oh, yeah. working hard enough. And then you're thinking, oh, this is, getting, this is tense. And then he flipping bitch slaps Sarabi. Yeah, and you're, like, and you're like, oh snap! And that's when like Simba shows up. He's like, "Don't you touch my mother!" But then what? Yeah. I, what's interesting there is that like both Sarabi and Scar go oh, Mufasa. Like they, yes, they they believe that it's it's more likely to be Mufasa than it is to be that Simba's come back. Or rather, mm. they're not. That, I'm sure they're not calculating the likelihood. But rather, I was thinking it's kind of like. Since the scar's been in charge, they've all been longing for the days when Mufasa was king and everything was great, and everything was green, and there was water, and there was you know, circle of life was functioning. Um, that's all like all the pride lands have been dreaming of, and Scar the whole time is probably as confident and as arrogant as he seems to be. You can't ima- you imagine he must have had a few sleepless nights where he's like nightmares about Mufasa coming back and taking taking his uh, taking his place again. So, but then, yeah, for them to see a young, handsome, strong-looking lion and go, that must be the, uh, the king that we all saw was dead and probably buried because his body was lying at the bottom of the gorge, and not the, you know, the miss the missing person that uh, that could have been alive. We're only taking it on someone's word that they were killed. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's an interesting like psychological question about what your, what your brain does in moments of trauma. Mm. And also just how much he has become like his yeah. father as well. And exactly, He's become yeah, so just... much like his father that when people see him, they think they think that, yeah, he is as strong and prominent and... and uh... Yeah, because he even fesses up. Like when Scar's trying to like mess with him to admit that he was involved in Mufasa's death, Simba's like, yes, I've come to terms with it. I accept it. Yeah. I, I was responsible for it, but I'm still here. And yeah, it's only then that the truth of uh, Scar's involvement comes out when he does the when there's the, another very exact mirror image of Scar, uh, sorry Simba yes. hanging off the cliff and Scar being a- above him and then digging his claws in and again leaning in to just whisper that one little smarmy last word that he's got to have. Now for my little secret, but then this time Simba's like, no, and there's like that super uber pounce thing that Mufasa couldn't do. Yes. So so not only has he become his father, he's surpassed him. He's done what Mufasa could never do and, and has put a stop to Scar's uh, perjury. And good on Simba. That is, yeah. a, that, is a, that is a really, yeah, a really powerful moment as well mm. where his family is almost ready to abandon him after he... Because Simba has, as you were saying earlier, Simba has been kind of... Uh, is been indoctrinated by Scar as much as Timon and Pumbaa into them, oh, yeah, thinking that he really is to blame. Of course, Simba has is not to blame, but again, Scar can't help but be sadistic in that moment. He has Simba at his mercy. He has the chance to kill him, but instead he has to just, you know, stick in the extra knife. You know, he just yeah, has yeah, to twist it. Yeah, just has to. Yeah, really. Yes, yeah, really twist it. Um, and that's that that arrogance, that sadistic arrogance, is is his downfall. That's what. what kills yeah, him. yeah. He, very much. So. We see him turn back into the the uh, 
the coward that he was at the beginning of the movie as well, when he's begging Simba for his life. And he's yeah, like, but putting the hyenas, the hyenas made yeah. him do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the Simba does, it takes on another, another element of um, Mufasa's character, which is to be merciful. But he has, yes. Especially in the realm of these are lions, these are territorial creatures. He has risen within every, every right to kill Scar in that moment, but he's still the hero. He's still compassionate and he's still merciful. So he doesn't kill Scar when he could. And he just, but then in, not in a sadistic way, but in like a real like, haha, yeah, that'll show him. He turns mm. Scar's words back on him. He's like, run away. Run away, Scar, and never returns. Like, yes. Yeah. That, that's a great way to get one back on someone who has wronged you and basically ruined half of your life. Just to turn it back on him. But then Scar, obviously, again, his downfall is his arrogance and he, think, he refuses to, to lose. And uh, yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> and and then, but then we're expected to believe. I know they can't show it, but yeah, we we expect that he gets ripped to shreds by hyenas. That's it's pretty... oh, he get he gets ripped to shreds. Oh, believe like you me, he gets ripped to shreds. <laughs> That'd been good to see. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Disney you know, kinda... has a habit of doing those kind of like uh, silhouette, gruesome deaths that they yeah. can't quite show, but that like you know, like it's there. There's some incredibly dark scenes. In Disney, there is. Oh, something else I wanted just before we wrap up. Are there any? How many like Disney protagonists? At least let's talk classic Disney before Pixar came in. How many mm. classic Disney protagonists were not a member of either royalty or the upper classes in some way? Mm. Um, what, Pinocchio. What? Sure, but if we're talking like Disney princes and princesses, because I'm sure like Simba counts in the canon of Disney princes. Yeah, because he's a prince. But you just said how exactly. many of them are royalty, and then you said, okay, yeah, sure. oh, oh, they're all princes. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, my bad, you're right. But then that's like, I thought of Belle, who's classed yeah. as a Disney princess, even though she's like a pauper, who becomes yeah. just becomes one of the the upper classes. Um, but yeah, Pinocchio's a good one, but then he's more of like a monster. He's more like Frankenstein's monster than he yeah, is. Yeah, I guess. A, uh, uh, I guess a, Aladdin, but then even the, the, with the stories with the you know the the pauper characters they are always juxtaposed with the with the royalty right so we have aladdin who's the street rat but then we compare aladdin to jasmine who is the princess so even though our protagonist is lower class the the love interest of the person he is playing off of isn't so i yeah. think in like it, it is always um that opposite dynamic like literally Beauty and the Beast, but that's not the only dynamic. As you were saying, is she is a pauper and he is, you know, yeah, yeah, he's a beast. But have you seen his castle? Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always they like, always um, they always portray those that that side of the equation to be attractive. Like Aladdin wants yeah. to to live in a castle, and Belle chooses to live in the castle at the end, and the Little Mermaid wants to be wants to be with the prince and live in his castle, and. Is this, I, I just noticed a strange, a strange um, flavor it, to those Disney it's movies. Class it, warfare, it's, Dave, yeah, it's, it's class warfare. That's what it is. Well, it's class. It's class um, lust. It's like yes. we we all want to be higher than what we are. Really, that's what's yeah. attractive. To but I suppose that's probably why those kind of films aren't really being made anymore. Like even the most recent one, that's kind of a, even though it's like a, that sort of three D Pixar animation. 
the only one I can think of that doesn't really play that way, even though it kind of has the same dynamics as uh, Tangled, where like yeah, I'll, yes, she yeah. she is kind of an upper classy kind of person, but she's just like trapped. She's a damsel in distress, mm-hmm. and then and he again is kind of like a a street rat streetwise cool guy but I don't remember how that ends if they get to live in some castle at the end I can't remember but yeah um, it's just it's interesting that Disney took those very classic because they're very old fashioned stories like a damsel in distress and a plucky hero and the happy ever after has to be some sort of financial and, and social stability because they're above all their other subjects it's, it's odd but probably off topic but- slightly that's where uh, we will yeah we'll end end with this but that is where all of these you know you've got these cliches like the wreck it ralph thing where all of the princesses are sat together and all the princesses are like do you ever just sit around and wait for some strong man to rescue you like that um and these cliches like as you were saying it's all um based in based around that Again, that same kind of masculinity we're talking about. Yeah, it's terrible that these female characters are having to be rescued by strong men. But the fact is, like, all these characters are the Mufasas, right? All these characters are are the strong princes. They're never... I think Tangled is a great example because... Is it Flynn? Is his name Flynn? Flynn Rider. Well, that's Flynn his, like, Rider. His, that's his fake yes. name. He, he's got some boring name, isn't he, but... Yes, but like the, the the fact is like he's not a, a man's man. Like yeah, he's a, he's a cool guy, but he's also kind of a douche. Um, and that is what makes him interesting in comparison to like the the other Disney. Is what makes Pixar so great. Is like if you look at the male characters in in Pixar, like Woody, for example, is a real douchebag, and flawed, Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Buzz Lightyear is your your man's man, but he goes on a long emotional journey that ultimately comes to coming to a realization that being a man's man isn't what you know isn't what is needed. Um, so there are gender issues both ways, I think, uh, going on in, in <laughs> yeah, movies. you're probably it's, right. It's, yeah, it's why Pixar is yeah why Pixar's so great. Um, I mean, yeah, Pixar so- is great, but without movies like The Lion King is a near perfect film, right? Like. There are very few moments that you could go, oh, they could improve upon that. Like, all of the songs are perfect. The, all the characterization is perfect. The film is hilarious. It's, it keeps you emotionally invested, even though they're all animals. Like, yeah, it's... No, yeah, you're how right. Would you, it, it, it's yeah, so how well would you rate received. It, how would you rate it, firstly, as, as a film, and then as, as a, daddy, a daddy film? Uh, firstly, as a as a film, yeah, I think you're right. Like it's one of the strongest Disney movies there have and has been, and it's probably one of the strongest movies of of all time. I mean, like it's been so well received by like generation after generation since it came out. And I think I'm looking now; it's number forty seven on the list of IMDb's greatest films of all time. Um, you're right; it just has it has everything. It has it completes uh, a story that is um, compelling and emotional and funny. And it's, it's, yeah, I don't think there are many Disney films that are as complete as this one. And, you know, Disney has been, was kind of a leader in storytelling, has been a leader in storytelling for a long time. And it's one of those films that I think you could probably sit anyone down in front of and they would enjoy it. Mm. So, and in terms of 
a father son story, I think it, it was apt of us to start here. Yeah. Because not only it, does it have a very um, strong emotional thread of father son relationships, it's also one that we saw as children. And the protagonist, at least in the first act, is a child. And that is when we, you know, attach ourselves onto that character and, mm. as, um, and are with him as he goes through his journey. So. Yeah, I, I think uh, we couldn't have started in, in a very in any better place, really. Yeah, and it was it was yeah. great to watch. It was great to watch it again, like as an adult, as we said, and to uh, to to analyze it from a from in a new set of eyes after you know as a as me being a sum of all my experiences since this film came out. It's it was a very interesting um, juxtaposition, really, and. In terms of like looking at it from like who who I like as a kid, I'm sure I related to Simba. He was he was he was me in that story. But now when I when I look at it and think about my own family dynamic, I I'm not a, a little boy anymore, and but neither am I a father. But my brother is a father with children, so the most the closest I can relate to my role in my family unit, if it's a mirror of the Lion King, is my brother is Mufasa. And Simba is my nephew Harvey, which means that I'm Scar, which means you are Scar. Of course you are. <laughs> of course I am. And this is funny that because um, a couple of years ago, I um, I just saw I think it was just like a meme based off of the Lion King where it says uh, it's like a picture of Scar and it's a, a quote from the movie that says, "Forgive me for not leaping for joy, bad back, you know." And I was like, "Oh, that I relate to that on so many levels," and I, it made me realise that sometimes I relate more to the villain in a classical good versus evil story like Disney films tend to be than I do the heroes because the heroes are uh, usually kind of this is a bit of a um, a tangent off to Harry Potter but the heroes are often Gryffindor types who are very like courageous and kind of obnoxious in a way and kind of irritate me whereas I relate more to that kind of honesty in a in a character that you don't often get from a hero you get that from from a villainous type and Besides that, I've got long black hair. And so basically the person I look at on screen when watching The Lion King, who looks most like me, is him, is Scar. Well, but, uh, let me let me tell you that when I see your brother hanging off a cliff and you offering to help him up, I I will not be trusting you in that situation. No, I, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd probably call the authorities. The, the emergency services are a better, a better line to go to, to than me. Although well, my brother, you, my brother you would say that, Scar. My brother doesn't. Yeah, of course I would. <laughs> but my brother doesn't sit atop a throne. You know, he's no more uh, financially stable than I am, or anything. <laughs> or uh, what he has that I don't is his own family, which, as much as it is beautiful and I love it, and they seem very happy and they're just an adorable little unit of people, uh, I have don't I don't desire that. I don't crave that myself. So the only thing I can really do is like in terms of what i may covet my my dad has the money so if if, oh no i was about to say if i'm gonna kill anyone in my family it's my dad but that doesn't sound right (laughs) (laughs) okay so that is the end of of our discussion on the lion king it was an emotional journey for us dave Uh, i'm glad that that we made it together Uh, so am i speaking of of uh the family unit and and the death that often come, comes with it. Next week, we're <laughs> going to talk about, about the ultimate father-son tragedy in media. And that is the one that happens again and again 
and again, perhaps the, the father-son relationship that has seen the most tragedy over the years, and that is uh, Bruce and Thomas Wayne of, of Batman fame. No father has died more times um, than, than Thomas Wayne, I think. So <laughs> You're probably right there, yeah. Yeah, so the next episode of Daddy Issues, we will be diving into all of the different uh, incarnations of, of Thomas Wayne through cinema, through television, maybe a couple of the comic books, and uh, seeing which ones really hit us emotionally and which ones can uh, go in the way of Batman and Robin and be lost to time forever. If only. So, if, if only. So thank you for listening to Daddy Issues. Uh, leave us a like leave us a subscribe is that what you do uh, leave a comment to say I somehow listened this far and we will see you next time see you later daddy-o bye bye <laughs>